Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heaters, Nick here. We hope you're excited for the newest episode of Half Street High Heat about to come your way just after this. But first, while we are a baseball podcast, tonight we will inevitably touch on some of the events that are occurring throughout our country. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about George Floyd and his tragic death and the subsequent riots that we have seen all over the country. Um, we have this platform, and no matter the size of the platform or the amount of listeners, we have an obligation to bring this up because it is a human rights matter, not just a political matter, or not really a political matter at all. So to all our heaters, we love and appreciate your support that you have consistently shown us, even when we've had little to no real baseball content. But to our heaters that are people of color, we support you and we stand with you in this fight for equality. You matter, and you especially matter to us. And you will always, always, always be welcome as a heater of Half Street High Heat. We are with you. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitters of the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. Thank you, as always, for joining us. I am Amanda. You can follow me on Twitter at awhite7877. And I am joined by my always obdurate co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. You can follow them on Twitter, too, at DCNatchak and at HalfShackCap. You can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing good. <laughs> Stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action. Well, that's true, but it's kind of <laughs> leaving out well, the you fact. You were quick on the Google with that it's one. It's leaving out the fact that we don't change because we're always right. It's not be, 
it's not like you where we refuse to change because we're wrong, but we're just too stubborn to change like you are with the universal DH. It's just we are yeah, correct exactly. in what we say. You went right to where I was going with that, so nice, nice. I well, just thought that was very quick, very quick Googling. I'm impressed. You know, I got nothing but time these days, so. <laughs> All right, so uh, been a bit of a crazy week in baseball, a crazy week in general, but um, also in Might baseball. Happen. So <laughs> something happened. Was there some news this week? <laughs> um, Ryan, why don't you uh, hit us with the week in review? Yes. Um, to quote the great Jeff Passan, this was the single most important week in baseball since the 1950s. As a reported deadline that baseball return by early July is today, June 1st. Um, it's more believed that the deadline's actually June 5th to get a deal done to have baseball return in early July. The owner sent the Players Association a new proposal. They told the players, all right, we'll give you your prorated salaries, but it'll be on the scale. This scale included the top paid players taking a pay cut of upwards of 90% and lesser cuts to the lower paid players. Um, everyone would be taking over a 50% pay cut at least. For example, Mike Trout would have been making $4 million in this deal. This did not go over very well with the players and the players association. The union said this was a dangerous tactic by the owners to try and split the players and pit them against one another. Players were on the record as furious. They said this was deceitful and straight-up outrage. Max Scherzer, who is one of the leaders in the union, said players will not be taking, talking with the owners about any more additional pay cuts. He said that they fully believe that if the league showed the financial papers, it would show that the owners are lying about how much money they would be missing out on. This is an important note because the league has not yet sent the financial records to the Players Association, and it's been 14 days. MLBPA sent their proposal, which included 114 games, with the regular season ending on October 31st, expanding on the fully prorated salaries and having deferred payments in case playoffs were canceled. Owners said this is a non-starter and immediately rejected as the owners want the season to end before October 1st so they can cash in on the playoff TV revenue in fears of a second wave of the coronavirus canceling the season. Today, the owner sent a counterproposal. They sent a 50-game oh <laughs> schedule with full prorated salary for those 50 games, meaning players would be making 33% of their salary, less than the 50% that the players want. Reports coming out that Manfred will enact a short season with prorated salaries if MLB and MLBPA do not come to a deal within the next coming weeks. It's uncertain if the players will agree to this, but as of right now, it does not seem like the players will agree to the 50-game schedule. Buster only reports that 2020 is not the only thing on the line, but the future of baseball as a whole. He notes how devastating it will be for this sport if the league does not have to play because of economic issues. Um, he also notes that there is a large group of owners who are perfectly willing to shut down the season to not pay the players their prorated salaries. It gets darker. The Oakland A's go against the March agreement that all owners made and said they are not going to be paying the minor leaguers $400 a week until the rest of the season. This saved the Oakland A's $1 million. The players cannot go to free agency and they cannot apply for unemployment benefits. Over 300 players are now 
not making paychecks and they cannot find a way to get paid through any other system. The Marlins and Royals also announced right after that that they will be paying their minor leaguers until the end of the season. Majority of the league has as well. The Washington Nationals had quite a week as they announced that we're going to be paying our minor leaguers, but we're only going to be paying them $300. This move was going to save the Washington Nationals $86,000 a month. As many pointed out, the Lerner family is the second richest family in Major League Baseball. Congratulations. Sean Doolittle and other nationals said that they were going to be covering the extra $100 a month that the minor leaguers were going to be losing, and the owners got absolutely floored and ripped, so much so that today they reversed track and said, you know what, we're not going to cut anyone's salary, we're going to pay them. This week saw 1,000 minor leaguers being cut as a cost-saving mechanism by baseball. This comes as Major League Baseball has been working hard all offseason to shut down the minor league season and cut 40 teams. This is another reminder, minor leaguers need a union. David Price announced that he's going to be giving each minor leaguer who's not on the Dodgers' 40-man roster $1,000 in the month of June. Scott Boris today announced that all of his minor league clients who got cut he is going to be paying their full season salary throughout the season so they do not have to worry about payments. Usually I end the week in review talking about Chili's, but that does not matter. To be honest, none of this matters, and being silent is being complicit, and I will not be silent as a racially unjust and oppressive system is wrecking havoc on our country and murdering innocent black Americans. Be vocal, listen, and help drive for change in our broken country. Register to vote and vote. I'm not, I don't just mean the federal elections. I mean state and local and get everyone you know to vote and help start a change that can hopefully fix a completely broken system and completely broken country. That is the Week in Review. I would first like to start by saying I love you, Ryan. Appreciate that. Um, but also, I mean, a lot to break down there, but just the the sheer... I mean, there's plenty of words you can use. There's some words I want to use that aren't podcast-friendly, as we try to be. But let's start with the A's, for example. Like, at least with the Nats, they not that it was right, but they just cut the pay. But the A's just skipped that part, and they went completely to just not paying them at all. And as you pointed out, Ryan, they can't do anything else. Yes, they can get another job. Oh, but what? Hey, there's a freaking pandemic going on, and no place is hiring. Like, especially, I mean, most of these guys work like retail or something that passes the, the time. I mean, some of them might have college degrees, but most of them don't because they were able to play baseball and they wanted to pursue baseball. So, like, these retail places, fast food places, they're not open. Like, they are trying – they're struggling themselves. So, the A's with their billion-dollar owner, I mean, how do you – they've always been cheap, but this is a new level of cheap. This – Oh, go sorry. ahead, Ryan. No, go ahead. Um, so this came after them and the Angels completely devastated their staff and their scouts. Yep. Yep. They furlo furloughed, probably the situation is probably better, but they were firing and furloughing about 90% of their scouts and just completely laying off everyone. And the thing about that is all those scouts, they can apply for unemployment benefits and they get the CARES Act, which is giving them an extra $600 a week. Minor mm. leaguers can't. It's like, they're not making any money right now. Like they can't feed their families. They can't feed themselves. They can't pay rent. 
And this is coming from an owner who's worth $3 billion. Like that makes no sense to me. And then you also look at the Nats who are also doing this. The Lerner family is the fifth richest family in all professional sports. They just went on a deep, sorry, they just won the World Series. They got all the extra playoff uh, revenue from tickets. They got the World Series uh, TV money. They got playoff money. They got all the extra merchandise. And you're telling me they need to save an extra $86,000 a month? I just, uh, that doesn't sit right with me. So I did the math. The, the minor league season ends around August 31st because if you know baseball, September call-ups yeah. happen when minor league season ends, and that's the end of August. So that's three months, June, July, August. $86,000 a month times three. That's $258,000. That's nothing. That is such <laughs> chump change. And if you really wanted to save that much money, cut Michael A. Taylor. That saves you like 100 times that much. That's just a joke. But, like, I mean, I there's just so many other ways. And I – like, they just won the World Series, and it just doesn't make any sense. But overall, for minor leaguers, it's very telling that the CARES Act, which was obviously implemented for a global pandemic, to – it's – with money we really don't have, I mean – but that's a different point. It pays you, an American citizen, $600 a week, which is more than you make as a minor league baseball player. Makes no sense. Yeah, it's a little bit insane. I just can't believe that even aside from the ethics or morals of the situation, which are not pretty, the <laughs> yeah. idea, the optics, just, the, just the, the publicity of it is so bad for baseball in general and, you know, for the A's and for the Nats and, you know, they got made to look like chumps by their own players who just immediately came out and said, no, we're not going to let that happen to the minor leaguers in our our system. And I don't know. The whole thing is just crazy. And I would like to encourage people, anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you have, I know everybody's struggling right now with all this COVID-19 stuff, but if you're in a good spot financially, the Adopt-A-Minor-Leaguer, I yeah, don't know if you guys that's a great know point. that is an awesome, awesome organization. It's at Adopt MILB Player on Twitter, and they're just awesome, and they pair you up with minor leaguers in your team system, so you can support somebody if you have the means to do so. So, uh, oh, and a great way to. If you're looking for an, if you're looking for an Airbnb, minor league stadiums across the country are renting out their stadiums on Airbnb, so they don't lose the stadiums, and they're also putting um, their concession stands on Uber Eats and DoorDash, so if you really miss minor league baseball games food, you can order food because that's how desperate they are because Major League Baseball is just completely throwing the minor league system to the trash. And, like, there's been a lot of talk lately about this situation, and it's 100% the players versus the owners, and right now both sides have the blame, but, like, I don't understand how anyone in good faith can sit here and defend the owners. So I do research for this podcast, unlike Amanda, um, I do. I prepare. So obdurate, obdurate. During during my preparing for it, because I I checked the news to get all of the weekend review. I came across this article about how the owners have completely taken advantage of the system. How they've made hundreds of millions of dollars in extra tax benefits. They've single-handedly lowered the cost of the average major league salary over the last five years while taking in extra payroll sorry, extra revenue in the record revenue by taking advantage of the CBA while all cutting their payroll. But there's one quote in particular that really stuck out to me from the owners. 
There was an owner who said this, but did not attach his name to it. And he said, our tickets are not made for lower class income people in mind. We don't want them at our games because they're less likely to spend money on food and merchandise. And we want people who are gonna spend money on food and merchandise. They do not care about you. Please do not defend the owners. They are awful people and they're billionaires who do not care about you. That is end of my rant. Do not defend the billionaires. They are perfectly willing, willing to destroy Major League Baseball to save a couple bucks. In well, the thing is that destroying Major League Baseball means they won't get any bucks from them. Right. So it's just so bizarre to me to see the way they've chosen to handle this. Is It just doesn't make any sense. Like, even just, like, if you consider them cartoon villains, it doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? You're just, right. like, you're... you're you're crapping in your own house, and I don't, I don't get what it is they're trying to accomplish. This 50-game season thing is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I, I want baseball back. I would love to. I would watch every single game if they had 50 games, but I don't understand why they only want to play 50 games. Are they just trying to say, is it just about saving money? It just seems like right now the season's going to be a loss for the owners. I mean, it, that's it really... what you take when you run a business. Sometimes you lose money and you don't pass that loss on to your employees. Exactly. So if I have employees and I lose money one year, I'm going to take a tax write-off for my losses and be like, damn, that was a crappy year. I'm not going to tell all my employees that they have to share. I mean, if you have to let people go, you have to let people go, but they don't have to do that. They are literally wealthier than, than any of us will ever dream of being. And to save a couple hundred thousand dollars, which means nothing to them, they're going to completely devastate the lives of the guys who were supposed to be the future of the game. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It really does seem like they're trying to take advantage of the system in the worst time possible. And I mean, certainly for all of us here, the worst time in like for baseball, um, but even stretching farther back, like Ryan said earlier, but just to go back before how, Ryan came across that, that note that's saying they make their business model to exclude lower class people, people with lower incomes, because they want people spending more money at the ballpark. Well, two things with that. One, I mean, a price for just a regular beer is like $16 now. Like, who is that priced for? I mean, that's that's not people priced who, for people, for people who people literally like don't care. Right, right exactly. exactly. If, and all of us here care about our finances i mean amanda you have five kids like but yeah. you also enjoy sports does that mean because you decided to have family and even more so adopt kids that you're not allowed to go to the baseball game anymore like it just doesn't make any sense and two i mean yeah, it's for so ryan, exclusive and infuriating right for for ryan in my case like we're 24 25 years old recent college graduates with hella student loans but Baseball's whole deal is, oh, we wanted to bring in younger fans, bring in younger fans. And now they're, they specifically said they're trying to price us out of going to right. these games. You know who doesn't want to pay for $16 beers is me. college graduates. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. That's it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like every action they're doing with every facet of the game, whether it's the business model or the fans or the players, they say one thing, but their actions tell a completely different story. Yeah. So and can I make is, a related point? Yeah, go ahead. Is 
if your point is, okay, we don't want people lower on the socioeconomic scale in our stadiums because they don't spend enough money, then make it so they can at least watch the damn games on TV. Thank like, you've you. got blackouts yes. <laughs> in place where you can't, like, do you just not want people to be a fan of your sport? You don't want people to watch? I just don't understand the decisions. Like, if, if and, and it makes perfect sense when you think about what you said, Brian, that what they're trying to do at the stadiums is only have people in there who have, disposable income and if that's the point then they've certainly pretty much accomplished it it costs hundreds of dollars to take a family to a baseball game now but if then why wouldn't you at least make it as accessible as possible outside your stadium so that people who aren't in that demographic you're targeting can still enjoy your products and still buy your merchandise it's just so nonsensical to me it, it does like we when we talk about free agents or trades or whatever, like Ryan and I love to say it's a business first. And I mean, that applies to like the business model and trying to make money as well. But Amanda, you make a great point. Like they're not mutually exclusive between making money and bringing in fans, like make the game more accessible. And if you do raise prices to try to make money because of inflation contracts and whatever it may be, like it's more understandable at that point. But like it's like they say one thing, do another, and it's just it, nobody's happy. Like the owners are maybe pocketing a couple extra bucks in, in terms of what they make on a yearly basis, but everyone's mad at them, and we're not going to get paid. But you're killing the mad. golden goose. Yeah, exactly. Right, like you're to get more eggs, you're going to kill the golden goose, and then when it's dead, there's no more eggs. You know what I mean? Like exactly. I don't understand what they think they're going to accomplish by alienating people. You mentioned you mentioned if you're going to have your prices like that, make it easier for them to watch on TV. They don't care about that because every single team gets $95 million just from the national TV contracts that Major League Baseball has. That's higher than a good number of teams' payrolls. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask. Yep. They do not yeah. care at all. It's because they have revenue sharing, and Major League Baseball has some pretty big lucrative TV contracts with Fox and ESPN, so the owners rake money off of that. So from that and the revenue sharing, they don't care, which is why we've seen the Marlins, the Pirates, the Royals, all these other teams just completely shed their payroll and actively not try, but still making hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and pocketing all that money because they're taking advantage of the system. And they do not care Well, maybe about the, the answer fans. is that that's the reform that needs to be made. Well, here's the, the thing. that the revenue is shared. And, and also with, you know, with it, the same kinds of, like, the same kinds of changes at the, the base level are what are needed, I think, in what we were talking about before with the minor leaguers. Like, they need a union. I think it would be really amazing to see the big leaguers in this next round of negotiations next year when they have to negotiate the new CBA to refuse to negotiate unless the minor leaguers are included. I would be it's funny you mentioned that. Thrilled to see that. Because again, the owners went to Congress and they fought off a law that they were trying to pass that would have classified minor leaguers as seasonal employees. So minor leaguers don't have a status, which means they don't apply to any of the, the labor laws. They don't have a certain number of hours where they can max out, and they don't have to have a minimum pay. So like the owners literally fought for that law to not be passed. Yep. So keep keeping advantage of them. And people still defend them, which baffles my mind. The owners suck. This has been brewing for a very long time. Very the, long time. The players and the owners yep. have been battling for a long time. And this year we had a perfect storm where a pandemic just came in 
and exposed it all a year early mm -hmm. because of this, yep. which is going to happen next year when the CBA is up and lead to a lockout. But instead, mm -hmm. we're having part one of the war now. It, it's okay. crazy. The Nats well, are going to be reigning champs forever. For literally ever. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should mention that Ryan, you mentioned the Royals. They were the first team to come out and say that they're paying everyone and they're not cutting everyone. So kudos to the Royals for doing the bare minimum, I guess. Um, and with the – Amanda, you make a great point with the major leaguers being involved in a potential minor league union. We've already kind of seen that be set up. I mean, if you it, – it's – obviously we saw the Doolittle thing um, with all the Nats players and stepping up for the minor leaguers, which is awesome. Um, but we kind of saw that thing with uh, Yasmani Grandal last year when he took essentially the qualifying offer, the one-year deal. He said, I'm trying to set up that next guy behind me to get paid. Like, I'm not going to take what's less less than I deserve, so that way the guy who's next to me, maybe not as good as me, uh, takes a deal for even less when I got less than I deserved. So, and we saw with Grandal, he got paid this offseason. Like, it, it panned out for him, and now everyone else behind him is set up Great. So I think there's, I mean, these players definitely talk to each other just because they're on a different team or different cities doesn't mean they don't communicate and they are not heavily involved with a larger plan. Um, so, But I think just with my non-professional baseball opinion, I think something is in the works, but you wouldn't see such a, a quick response to owners decreasing minor league salaries by $100 a week by the players if there wasn't something already in place. Like, that happened so quickly after the announcement, do a little rallying mm -hmm. the troops. There has to be some sort of fundamental uh, approach. Like they to, must have been discussing these, it before exactly, or something. Exactly. There had to have been some sort of a like mindset between the players, not only with the Nats, but I'm sure throughout baseball that – the minor leaguers need to be taken care of because all of these players were in that situation at one point or another. Even Bryce Harper, who reached the the majors in such a, like a record rate, um, and Juan Soto, for instance, they were minor leaguers for two, three years. So they know what the, the grind is like. They know what it entails being a minor leaguer and how tough it is and how much of a grind it is, and it just never seems like it's going to end. So I fully expect that the players are going to be heavily involved in uh, negotiating the next CBA to include a revolutionary minor league setup. I wonder if Scherzer will be involved in that. It seems like Scherzer and Doolittle are kind of leading the charge on this stuff. Well, Scherzer is... Somewhat, at least within the Nats. But since he's at the end of his career, coming to the end of his big contract, I feel like next year would be a great year for him. To, because I think if you go up against the owners in a big way you're going to feel the brunt of that if you're still an active guy in the league. But Scherzer's got uh, such a stature and has, you know, is coming to the end of his career anyway, that I think he'd be a great person as, as one of the union reps for the players to to really take a, a big role in that. I'd love to see it. Ryan, was it you who told me Max Scherzer is like the most influential voice in all of these baseball negotiations? Or did I read that from like a Ken Rosenthal thing? Nah, Rosenthal tweeted out, he's like one of the player reps and his voice carries way farther than a lot of the other For player reps. For a lot of reasons, yeah. yeah. Um, I but, often confuse Ryan with Ken Rosenthal too, Nick, don't worry. Uh, they're, they're, both, they're, they're, they're both adorable as hell. <laughs> um, Ryan just happens to be like a foot taller. <laughs> Otherwise, exactly alike. Um, exactly alike. No, but I mean, 
think about Max Scherzer, and yeah, we see him on the mound, and he's just like grizzly in your face. I mean, he's Mad Max, but then you get out of baseball, and he's not really the most outspoken. He's not as like introverted as like Steven Strasburg, but he doesn't do these like interviews. Not that he's not a fun guy or anything. My point being, it just takes a lot for him to say something, and a lot of that mm-hmm. is his stature with the league, and like he has to hold himself to a higher standard because everyone is looking to him. But when he finally said something, I mean, it was the most damning thing the owners could have received just because it's Max Scherzer and just the weight, the gravity of what he said, it was just like a shot right through it as if, I mean, anything could go worse. It was a very gay worse. and silent Bob moment, you know? Right. Like you... <laughs> but I, it was just, I mean, and you saw how quickly the owners were like, scrambling after that statement came out to like try to come yeah. up with a different proposal and the proposal still sucked but i mean it definitely like sh- sent a shock throughout ownership in baseball that hey like they, this isn't going to be easy we're still going to try to screw them over but it's not going to be easy <laughs> but they might not get screwed as easily as we had hoped yeah no because they have um, max freaking scherzer on the mound when he speaks you listen exactly Exactly. And can we bring, this seems like a good moment to bring up Patrick Corbin. Oh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I mean, um, so in case you guys, didn't earn that contract before, he certainly <laughs> did now. <laughs> in case you guys did not see, um, Jeff Passan tweeted out the report of the Nationals cutting back the minor leaguer salary by $100 a week. And Jeff Passan quoted about how much money the learners are worth and how they are the second richest family in baseball. Patrick Corbin hit that with a big old retweet <laughs> right on the timeline. Yeah, I feel and like everyone it's saw really it. intriguing to think about how, you know, Scherzer and Doolittle vocally and then Corbin vocally have just really called out the Nats ownership and it just it just seems unusual to me I mean it was it was well deserved and I'm glad they did it it's just from a I don't know from a looking behind the scenes thing you just wonder what the hell's going on that's a great point the players and the ownership that's That's a a really I'm so sorry Nick but Brian I I think we're on the same wavelength here but I need to say JT Muto has like oh okay no 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 I got a couple um it's like all these players have criticized the whole arbitration process and talked about how it's completely ruined their entire relationship with the franchise. Like JT Real Muto said his relationship with the Phillies is ruined. The way they talked about him and completely derailed him in arbitration, like it's completely ruined. Trevor Bauer has been on the record the same thing. He yeah. said he loved to play for the Dodgers and he completely ripped the Indians how they handled him. Like, these players do not have good relationships with the owners. And in recent years, it's becoming more and more evident that their good relationships with the organization is 100% with the head coach and maybe the GM because the GM gives them that nice big contract. But they do not have good relationships with the owners. And in uh, what I was going to say, in particular with the Nats specifically, there was that eye-raising comment from Rendon after he signed with the Angels talking about uh, well, no, with Rendon in particular, he said he was talking to Strauss about the Nats and what needed to be fixed and how they could change it. Now, with all these players speaking up against ownership, it really makes you wonder just how maybe cheap the ownership is and how – I mean, I know that the families on flights thing was like a big thing 
uh, that the players had to fight for, and it didn't seem like it needed to be a fight at all. But it just makes you wonder how much the players really butt heads with the ownership. I mean, we're, we're seeing more and more players come out every day against the Nationals ownership, and they, they're still active, and they're still under contract for some, like, six more years. Like yeah, Patrick that's Corbin. the part that I find so interesting. It's like the, the willingness to publicly, not just to even behind the scenes or through your agent or grumble in the, in the clubhouse about something the ownership is doing, but the willingness to publicly call them out is I love really it. interesting to me. I love it. I mean, yeah, it, remember, it makes me wonder what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> and, I mean, this, this was easily two years ago, but remember when the Astros got their punishment and all of the sports world, not just baseball, was just destroying the commissioner's office for such a weak punishment? Mm-hmm. I mean, and we thought that was, like, everyone laughing at baseball. Now everyone's really laughing at baseball for just how bad the ownership is. And it just cannot, you can't paint the owners in a good light. It's insane. It's really funny because like, first of all, the first mistake Major League Baseball made this year was attaching a date. But like, if you look around all other sports, well, NFL has time. So they're making two plans. Um, NBA, all the owners are like, hey, Adam Silver, you got it, dude. There's no complaints from them because they saw how terrible Major League Baseball is handling this. They're like, we're going to sit back. Whatever you say is good. And they were agreed to their finances. And then you have the NHL where they're like, well, we'll figure it out as we go. You know, like we have our plan, but we'll figure everything else. No drama. Meanwhile, baseball is being a freaking embarrassment during the middle of a pandemic and economic crisis because they're publicly having a war with each other and each side are just releasing information to make the other side look worse. It's so bad. It's, yeah, it's really bad. I mean, again, like, it's like, how can things get any worse? And they constantly do, but it's not worse as in, oh, damn, we're not going to get baseball. It's worse as in, it's really an issue that I'm sure has been going on for years and years and years that's just now coming to light because of many things. Um, but it, it needs to be resolved before anything happens, before a, a shortened season happens, before a new CBA happens, before anything can go forward. There's so many issues that need to be resolved, and the owners won't budge. Their compromise is just altering their crap proposal so that it's different crap but it's also different than the crap they served before. It's insane. And the last point I'll say on this before we move on is if there's no season this year because of economic issues, that will do far more damage to the sport of baseball than the owners having to pay prorated salaries. I do not think baseball will be able to recover from them missing out a season because of economic issues right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, baseball is a monster, like not like a monster like the NFL or probably even the NBA, but it should be able to withstand something like this. But I tend to agree with Ryan. I don't know how you necessarily recover from this because you're gonna of, piss a lot of people off, right? With all the issues you have going on, plus the pandemic, and you're probably not going to get a season. It's like the owners have no leverage, and the players are already we're already in this situation anyways. They're already not playing, so why would they give in? It's a lot going on, and I, I, I'm worried. Like, you need a 
systematic change within the ownership to get something done, and it's not going to happen. And I'm worried we're not going to have baseball this year or next year. That's my worst yep. fear. I don't know what I will do if I don't have baseball for two years. I don't even care to think about it too hard. Probably adopt, like, <laughs> four more kids. Who knows? Um, yeah, I might slow my roll on that. I'm a little busy <laughs> right now. So. Five kids is actually kind of a lot to deal with, especially when three of them are under four. So. Hey, you, soon enough you can start a minor league union. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now we're talking. Yeah. Nick and I sat down over the phone to his face with Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington. Um, we had a great, great conversation with him. Um, he's also a huge fan of Natchak, so we love him already. Um, we talked about the potential MLB season, the health protocols. We talked about the mental health side of, of things. Also talked about jerseys, got his opinion on them and much more, and we really hope you guys enjoy it. Take a listen. We are now joined by Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington. You guys can find him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. How are you doing today, man? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Uh, always always have, glad to have people on. Um, hopefully you're staying safe during all this uh, mess that is 2020 this year. Yeah, I've just been hunkered down, uh, live with a couple of roommates. The golf course right by my house just opened up, so I've been uh, working on the swing a little bit. <laughs> Before quarantine, I'd never played a full 18 holes, so it's definitely a work in progress, but with nothing else to do, I mean, I don't really have an excuse, right? Uh, that's right. really demoralizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I've been playing golf for 24 years plus now, and I'm still not good. So don't take it too seriously if you're. You yeah, my it. my whole family's big on golf, and I think I've broken a hundred once. So. <laughs> <laughs> and by broken a yeah, hundred, no, he no means one in my there was no room on, on the scorecard left. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll just <clears throat> get right into it. Um, so. All we keep hearing about is MLB has a lot of issues they need to work out right now before they start a season from the outrageous health protocols that we heard, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But the big issue in the info that we heard today is the economic standoff between the owners and the union. Neither side seems like they want to budge. Um, based on how we keep hearing things, do you think the two sides can come together on an agreement? Well, uh, we, we keep hearing this, but the good thing is that they have a lot of time. So this is definitely not something that I think is going to happen overnight or anything like that. But uh, the latest development, the New York Post reported today that MLB lawyers apparently found some email exchange from March, which confirmed that the Players Union understood that if it became clear that fans weren't going to be allowed to attend games, that they would revisit the uh, negotiations on economics. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know uh, if the players' union is going to to do anything about that. But they've really, you know, taken a big stance against taking further pay cuts. We saw Blake Snell come out and, and kind of put it in plain speak and just say, "Look, you know, I'm putting my life on the line. I'm, I've already accepted one pay cut. I don't think that it's going to be fair, you know, for me to take another." And if you look through the health protocols that MLB you know, put out, it's obvious that the league expects somebody to get coronavirus. I mean, it's going to happen. There's no way that an operation of this scale could be put out without there being a positive test here or there at the very least. 
So I think that if the league is expecting for players to get the, the sickness, then all of these guys have to go into it knowing that there is a chance that they're going to catch this. And, you know, for some players, there's definitely worse risk than others, but this is something that can have lasting effects on you. It can uh, infect your family. It can affect those around you, your coaches, your players, people who you've become very close with in your time. So it, it's, you know, it, it's asking a lot for them, for them to do this. And they're obviously going to have some kind of quarantined-ish life anyway, even if they do play, uh, where, you know, they won't really be able to go out in public very much. They'll need to stay, you know, with either their close family or the facilities, one of the two. So, uh, you know, I think that the players have a lot of leverage and that the league stands to lose a lot more money than maybe the players do. Obviously, losing a year of salary can be huge for the individual player, but for a multi-billion dollar corporation like MLB, with how much it stands to lose by not having a season, not just this year, but in years to come, I think the players' union has all the leverage it needs to really get something done. Yeah, um, it's a really good point to point out that someone is going to get the coronavirus. Um, I don't think it's an if, it's kind of like when a player gets it. Um, Rob Manfred is pretty adamant that if someone gets it, they're not going to have to quarantine the entire team. Um, but, like, they're not testing every single day. So do you see a situation where the entire team has to get quarantined or will it be possible where they're not going to have to shut down the season or, like, they're going to be able to keep playing if a player does get sick? Well, it's interesting because we haven't heard from Max Scherzer pretty much the entire time uh, other than a couple of, of fluff interviews. He hasn't talked as an MLB uh, a member of the MLB Players Association Executive Board. He's in on these negotiations. He's part of that thinking group uh, who's making these decisions for the union. And we haven't really heard anything from him uh, up until this point as far as public comments about how he thinks things are going to turn out and all that kind of stuff. But we did have ESPN put out a story earlier today that quoted him as saying he's concerned about the coaches and trainers as kind of being the catalyst for spreading this virus. Now, like you said, they think that they could play on if nobody, if one player gets infected, they can quarantine him without having to quarantine the whole team and move forward. And obviously anybody who came in contact with that player would be uh, tested. However, a lot of experts say that it takes a couple of days after being infected for you to test positive. So you could be carrying the uh, disease and not know it, even if a test says you're negative, you could be passing it along. That's especially important if you're a coach or a trainer who works with several players at a time. You know, you look at uh, Paul Menhart, for example, the pitching coach. You know, he's working mm -hmm. with the entire rotation, the bullpen, a lot of the catchers as well. Uh, that's all. If, if one of those players gets infected, he's going to be in contact with them. There's no doubt about it. And then that is, is kind of a step where, oh, no, he might be, uh, you know, messed up and, and end up getting it with somebody else too. So I think overall there's a lot of questions that haven't been answered yet. There's a lot of scenarios that need to be explored. I can understand that as a goal, uh, and certainly you're not going to be able to have baseball without that goal being achieved. But overall, uh, with the way that they laid out all of the rules uh, and, and protocols right now, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and some health officials from the CDC – gave MLB's health plan a B minus on the scale. <laughs> that's how that's how yeah. they looked at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the only yeah, like it, way you can get a A health plan is just to not play. I mean <laughs> I, I don't see any way around it, especially with about without a vaccine. But Matt, there's a lot of moving pieces to any sort of 
proposal or plan to play this season outside of them actually coming to an agreement, the players, owners, and everyone in between coming to an agreement. What do you see as the biggest obstacle for getting a full season uh, in the works? I mean, I think rushing is honestly probably the biggest thing is trying to do all of this too fast. This is a massive operation with so many people involved and, Yes, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot of pressure to, to get a product on the field and they've already kind of have a, a targeted date that's been reported of the first week of July. So now I, I think the, the mistake, honestly, was letting any kind of date slip uh, and let that out because as soon as you get past that date or approach that date, it's going to be looked at as mm-hmm. you know a failure on the part of MLB and the Players Union. And yeah. the closer we get to that date, the more they might be likely to, to try and rush into things or overlook certain details. And, and that's where, you know, I think there's a cause for concern. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's a, something that everyone, I mean, myself included, really is overlooking. Um, and I, I think Ryan and our other co-host, Amanda, we were all kind of in agreement. We didn't see a season really happening once all this really uh, unfolded and the NBA shut down, NHL shut down, so on and so forth. But, I mean, you don't think about the rushing and the setting a date and then pushing it back, setting a date, pushing it back. So that's a really good point. I, th- mm-hmm. I think if the, the faster and the more uh, emphasis they put on getting a season played this year, the more they're going to end up missing um, in any sort of proposal. So that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so I think overall, I'm, I'm optimistic. Just real quick, I'm optimistic that a, that a season will be played at some point. Uh, I try to be optimistic about these things. Baseball has you know, been a, such a big part of my life. I, I want it back, and I think there's a part of me that maybe uh, is, is trying to just push all this logic out the door and say, look, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. Uh, I just think that where we are right now, anyone trying to say they know anything about what's going to happen, you know, it, it's just a fool's errand. Right. I agree. Um, this whole situation is just so vapid that every single day this is changing. Oh, good um, word. Oh, thank you. Big J journalism. Um, <laughs> but in, in the proposal, there is some pretty good stuff. And one of them, uh, which I'm the most excited about, is the universal DH. And that's something that probably will stay if it is um, passed. Mm-hmm. So like a team like the Nats, how do you think that they would benefit from a season with having universal DH? Well, I think the Nats stand to benefit as much as anyone. Now, I will say I did uh, I did uh, some research on every single team in the National League and uh, what they were planning to do with the DH. And almost every team, if you Google, you know, Pirates DH NL, uh, you'll find some article that says Pirates stand to benefit as much as anyone, or you'll you'll get it with the Brewers, you'll get it with the Cubs. You know, you go through at the National League. Everybody seems to be like, oh, this is actually a good thing for the team because now they have more options. And yes, uh, it, it creates a ton of flexibility for teams in ways that they didn't have before. But the Nationals are a team that already didn't really know what they were going to do with Howie Kendrick. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're going into the season with three first basemen and Eric Thames, Ryan Zerman, and Kendrick. Theoretically, Howie can play third, but he's already a, a pretty poor defender anyway, uh, and sticking him in at third base probably isn't going to be your best option when you could put a Struble Carrera there, uh, you know, eliminating Carter Keeboom for a minute. So uh, I think that the obvious choice is Howie Kendrick going in there, but he's still not going to play every day, you know, given his history with the Achilles injury and just his age in general. 
Uh, so you'll be able to mix in some interesting other scenarios, and I think uh, a few that the team might be interested in exploring. One, Adam Eaton going to the DH spot and putting Ooh. Michael Taylor out in right field. Uh, so you have a pretty strong defensive outfield. I think overall mm. that would you know, really save a lot of runs. Eaton has talked himself about how bad he was in right field last year, uh, and that was something he was working to improve, but you never really know. So I think that's something that they could kind of use as a safety net, especially if Eaton's defense doesn't step up. And another one uh, could be Carter Keboom. Uh, you know, I really don't know what the yeah. Nationals plan to do or most teams in the league right now with rookies in general. I mean, if you're not going to have the minor leagues, do you really want to keep, you know, your prized rookie off of the roster when they're not really going to have anywhere to play? I mean, theoretically, you could gain a year of control, uh, you know, and, and considering that some teams might consider this year to be a bit of a wash because, you know, one team can go on a run and boom, you're in the playoffs. Uh, which is something that, you know, you can't really do over the course of a whole 162-game season. So they might opt to just say, okay, we're going to sit the rookie, but at that point he might be stunning his development because at the end of the day he's not going to be getting the necessary at-bats he needs and everything like that. Now, it, it kind of goes back and forth because if you're going to be doing that, he needs to be playing consistently, right? Uh, and, you know, he's already kind of showed that he might not be ready at third base. He, he definitely had a rough spring. Uh, not sure if, if he's up to speed there yet, but maybe you get him in the lineup uh, you know, four times a week batting DH, so that way he's hitting consistently, and then you have him on the backfield or, or, or whatever, you know, playing third base, working on that until he's ready to slide in the lineup full-time. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think uh, a lot of people, when they think DH, they their brain automatically takes them to someone like David Ortiz or Nelson Cruz, these, like, everyday DH types, which is a good thing to have if you have a guy that is just so good, he forces your hand, but not so good defensively, but you can still put him in your lineup. That's a great thing. But with the Nats, I mean, we already mm -hmm. saw it last year. And even in years past, they've done a great job of, like, Howie Kendrick, for example, like putting him at second one day, first the next day, and then giving him day off. But they do that with a bunch of – or do that mm -hmm. with a bunch of their guys. They do a great job of rotating them. But as we saw, especially with someone like Dave Martinez, who just loves switching things up just to see what he has – uh, we saw a lot of different lineups, and some of the guys didn't like that. Well, now you enter the DH, and you can do that rotational stuff with some of your infielders and even your outfielders, like you pointed out with Adam Eaton, but you don't necessarily lose anything by benching a guy because he needs a day off. Um, some people like the DH because it is sort of a day off. They don't have to play the the physical game in the field. They can just kind of take a step back, focus only on hitting it, and they consider that an off day. Um, so I love it. I am full pro DH. Uh, like I've never been anti DH in my life. I mean, I'm a like when I played, I, I'm a PO pitcher only. So DH is always great for me. Um, but my one argument I always give for the DH is if you look at the World Series, the Nats lost all three games at home. Uh, and I mean, they obviously didn't have the DH there. They won all four games on the road where they did have the DH. And if you look at the game seven, Howie Kendrick was in the DH spot. If you look at that series, he whenever he was in the field, because his bat like was good enough, it warranted him being in the lineup. But whenever he was in the field, he was terrible. Like I remember seeing him in the Dodgers series. Mm -hmm. He made two really bad errors that led to runs, but his bat was so good. You had to leave him in the lineup. Game seven in Houston, he's in the DH spot and ultimately has the game-winning home run. Like, that should be the only argument Nats fans need to be on board with this universal DH. 
I mean, I, I really don't see a valid argument against it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I would say from at least the 2020 standpoint, it makes total sense. And like I said before the season, I really wasn't sure what they were going to do with Howie. I mean, it, it was kind of this big question mark because Thames and Zimmerman seemed like a natural platoon partners uh, over at first base. So how is Howie really going to fit into that? Do they really want to play him at third base? Yes, mm -hmm. he can do it, but, you know, he's not the same guy that he used to be, especially over at the hot corner where there's going to be a lot of tough balls. Uh, you know, I think that as far as 2020 goes, it makes total sense. I'm, I'm personally very uh, in favor of not having the DH. Uh, I, I love the strategy that it brings to the game, and I know no. it's a cliche argument. Um, but uh, that's, that's just kind of how I fell in love with, with baseball in general was, you know, sitting in the stands with my dad, filling out the scorecards and, you know, having, oh, it's a double switch. Like, what am I going to, how am I going to uh, change this around? And, you know, that's, that's kind of how I fell in love with the game. So to see that part of it go, especially as abruptly as this, um, would be would be sad in my opinion, but uh, I understand why a lot of people want it. I understand why a lot of veterans want it. It makes a lot of sense. It extends a lot of careers. Ryan Zimmerman, uh, who's doing a diary series with the Associated Press right now, he just said that he would be in favor of the DH sticking around, uh, probably because it would uh, extend his career by a year or two if he could stay healthy and just bat. I'm sure that would help him out a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, for me, I, I just I just love you know the the having to do the double switch, having to account for, you know, having your pitcher uh, still rolling when you want to put in a pinch hitter in a tight situation. I think that's, you know, part of what makes baseball baseball. And to take that away, it, it kind of just is baseball on steroids, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, like I said, I totally get why some people want it. <clears throat> the DH conversation is a, a pretty big topic on our show. Um, <laughs> yeah, it comes up a lot. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. What have I stepped into? <laughs> <laughs> Nick and I are pro DH, and Amanda is against universal DH. As far so, against it as you could possibly be. Yeah, she, so whenever she cringes at so the now I see it. why you didn't put her on here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever we have a guest, we always want to see where they land, just so we can see who's stacking up on each side. <laughs> um, but just right, 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 right. Of course, changing gears just a little bit. The draft is coming up. Um, it is only five rounds this time. Um, it, the players union did not get to 10 like they wanted since it is such a shorter draft. Um, what type of strategy do you think the Nats will be going for in this draft? What type of names should they be ever, They're going to stick. Yeah. Well, I think now more than ever, they're going to stick to what they've always done in the first round, uh, and is go for this, the highest name available. The guy who has the most upside, regardless of whatever, uh, you know, other issue might be, you know, knocking him down. The Nationals, you know, since 2011 haven't had a top draft pick per se. Uh, that was when they drafted Anthony Rendon. Ever since they've kind of been, you know, middle towards the back end of the first round. So they've kind of had to pick and choose guys who, you know, might have gone in the top 10, top 5, top 15, uh, but maybe, you know, had an injury or, or in the case of Seth Romero, you know, got kicked out of school. Uh, so that's what knocked them down on the pecking order, but they still had that potential. And so the Nationals said, oh, we don't care. We're going to take the guy uh, with the top potential. And so far this year, uh, it seems to be Cole Wilcox. He's a sophomore, or I guess he was supposed to be a junior this year at Georgia, uh, a pitcher. Uh, last year, made 23 start, 10 starts, 23 appearances. He went 6-2 and two with a 3-3-8 ERA, um, 40 walks to 96 strikeouts. Uh, doesn't have 
more than two developed pitches, but still has enough of a repertoire where they think they could develop it uh, into, you know, being a full-time starter, which would be the goal with somebody who you're going to draft in the first round. And remember, even though the Nationals won the World Series, the draft order is determined by regular season finish. Uh, so they actually, being a wild-card team that really benefits them, they get to move up a few spots uh, in that first round. So Wilcox is right now being mocked to them by ESPN, The Athletic, and MLB.com, which uh, in years past, it was the same thing with Mason Denneberg. It was the same thing uh, with Steph Romero. I would say that if that's what's being mocked to them, that's probably what's going to end up happening, unless he gets taken beforehand. Right. Right. And obviously it's different with the MLB versus something like the NBA or the NFL where like your first round player can make such a big impact next year with the MLB. Obviously there's a couple of of years usually that it takes for someone to really grow into themselves and, and make an impact on the big league level. But I do have a question is sort of about the farm system. If you look at the Nats, I mean, it's sort of been 50-50 between them, hoard, not hoarding prospects, but holding on to some top prospects that are untouchable per se. But then you look at something like the Adam Eaton trade where you give up, it, it, it's eye-popping how much talent you give up. Where do you fall on that? Are you more you want to save your prospects or are you more let's trade our prospects for someone that can help us now? I mean, I think it kind of depends on the situation. Um, you know, overall, I would say that prospects capital is important. Uh, but, you know, you need to look at your depth and, and figure out when it's the right time to pull the trigger. For example, last season there were, you know, reports that the Nationals uh, were in talks with the, well, I guess this was two years ago now, were in talks with the Marlins about JT Real Muto, uh, and there were talks of Victor Robles being included in that and Carter Keeboom. If the Nationals could have swung that deal with Carter Keboom being the top guy and, and keeping Robles, I would have done that 10 times out of 10. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, the Nationals have they have Trey Turner. Uh, you know, Anthony Rendon, you know, was at that point still had another year and a half on his deal. They were still working with another year or so of Rendon. I mean, sorry, Zimmerman. Uh, second base has kind of been a plug-and-play situation for them uh, in the past few years. But, you know, I didn't think that there was necessarily a need to keep Carter Keboom, yes, he, he might have had that potential, and you'd have him for six years on a cheap contract. I get it, I get it. But the, the catcher spot at that time, especially when Matt Weir was, uh, you know, kind of the incumbent there, they just hadn't had that answer, and they really needed somebody to fill that that void in the lineup for them. Uh, ever since Wilson Ramos has left, really, they haven't had you know substantial production from the catcher spot. We kind of forget Kurt Suzuki and Young Gomes both had some big hits. Uh, down the stretch, mm -hmm. but overall, especially Gomes, they really didn't put up great numbers last year. I think the Nationals ranked 29th in, in catcher OPS last year, so uh, they still haven't been getting great production out of that spot overall, uh, and, and that could have been a great way to fill that void, and instead he ended up going to a division rival in the Phillies, and, and that ends up hurting them in that way. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely times when you need to pull the trigger and, and definitely times when you want to hold off. It, it just kind of depends. I mean, obviously the Nationals front office knows way more about his prospects than I ever will, and, and I don't have any inside knowledge in, as into, you know, what's mm. going on uh, within their farm system. But, you know, you, you mentioned that Adam Eaton trade. This is purely speculation, but it, to me it felt like with the Nationals trading so much just to get Adam Eaton, Mike Rizzo had to have shown his cards as to what they thought of Lucas Giolito. You know, being at that time, being the top pitching prospect in baseball, we've seen guys like that fetch so much more in return 
uh, and you know when they got Adam Eaton back, it was just kind of like, oh, that's it. Uh, and, and I know a lot of people felt the same way. So to me, I think at that moment, I think they got a little bit too eager because Rizzo isn't typically setting out to trade his prospects. He's typically holding on to them like precious jewels. And right. at that point, he was kind of in un- unfamiliar territory where he was like, oh, I can trade future talent to upgrade my roster now. What can I do? And, and, and just kind of played himself a little bit. I mean, like I said, purely speculation. Don't know if that's actually what happened, but that's my theory. Yeah, and it's honestly probably a as close to the truth as you can as one can speculate because by all reports leading up to that I mean trade was they were trying to trade for Chris Sale and it seems like they had a package in place for Chris Sale and when he ultimately got dealt to the Red Sox Rizzo seems to have just shifted that package onto Adam Eaton who, who is not as good of a player as Chris Sale not as impactful but in terms of the years of control and the the good contract per se, he, he viewed it as worth it, but it definitely was an eye popping trade. Um, but the reason I do ask is because in the off season, obviously we lost Rendon and there was a bunch of hypothetical mm-hmm. trades. Would you do this? Would you not just, just to, to ask, would you, if the money worked out, if we didn't go over the salad cap or whatever, but if it worked out, would you do Robles for Arenado straight up? Ooh. I know. for Aaron Allen straight <laughs> up. Um, if if he agreed not to take the opt out, right? Yes, because you still have you still have Arenado in the prime of his career. He's an MVP caliber hitter, even outside of Coors Field. He brings you know th- that leadership quality. They've always talked very highly of him as far as what he brings to the clubhouse. Um, I, I'd say yes. It would it would be tough. I can see why a lot of people would immediately balk at that and say no way. Uh, the the Victor Robles for Chris Bryant rumors now no way no way would I do that especially for two mm-hmm. years but right. you basically I mean you have you have I understand why the Nationals wouldn't do it because if they would have they would have just signed Rendon because at that point the the contract is about the same I think Arenado is only a little bit more expensive over the next seven years than what um, Rendon got but exactly. overall they were about the same deal and so if if you were going to do anything you would have re-signed Rendon. Uh, and, and Kathrobles, but at the same time, you know, I think that they're looking at these future extensions for Soto, for Robles, for Trey Turner, uh, down the line, possibly Max Scherzer extending his deal in D.C. Uh, it's kind of adding up uh, to the point where they don't think that they can bring on uh, another contract of that size. But if it were me, and, you know, just right now, and, and trying to upgrade the 2019 roster, yeah, I'd probably do it, especially with the DH now. I mean, that just gives you so much flexibility, um, you know, to what you're going to do w- with that lineup. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm in the same boat. Uh, I'm sure Ryan is, too, with wanting the Arenado. But, I mean, bottom line is we won That's the World Series. Yeah, we won the World Series. We can't be too picky <laughs> about what happened or what didn't happen. It all worked out in the end. So I mean, Arenado Soto is a great middle <laughs> Arenado so badly, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> And, and um, it's funny because Nationals fans for years have always said, like, oh, Rendon's just as good as Arenado. He's better than Arenado. He's just not appreciated. Everyone would immediately flip and just say, oh, Arenado's absolutely. the best. Absolutely. No doubt. The best part, though, <laughs> if the Nats traded for him, the Nats Twitter account would have had to say he was the best third baseman baseball after years saying yeah. uh, Rendon was better, yeah. which would have been really fun to see. Yeah. Um, I would have I loved to see that. So – Last question we got to have for you now, Matt. Um, 
this week we've been talking about the best and worst jerseys in baseball. So we have to ask you your opinion. Who do you think has the best and the worst jersey in the league? Oh, the best and the worst. Um, I'm going to have to say I didn't like the Padres uniforms before nice. they changed them this offseason. Going to the Brown is hype. I actually, I'm, I'm very much for that. I think that oh. it's, it's going to look good. <laughs> no, I, I, I know, I know, I know. But I think, I think they can pull it off. It's tough. Um, but, you know, i got to see it in game action before I really make, you know, my, my uh, picks there because you can, you know, frame it all up all you want. But until right. I see it on the field, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, like, I like the old ones that they used to have. I think that they were classics. Now, they, need to be, they needed to be updated, obviously, and I think at least in the mock-ups they look that way, but we'll see how they are on the field. I think, I think the best is the Dodgers. I just, it's so Let's clean. Go. I love the script. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, I think they have the best logo. I think they have the, the best jerseys. Uh, they have one of the nicest stadiums in the league. I mean, if honestly, if, if you're a free agent, you know, LA, go and play for the Dodgers. I don't think it gets much better than that. Exactly. Yeah. We just did a, a draft, uh, the three of us and we drafted the best uniforms in baseball and I had the first pick and I actually went the Dodgers. So that, that's nice hey, validation hey. for me. <laughs> 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 yeah and then we had a little discussion about the nats uniforms um so again i'm gonna ask about that do you think the nats have good uniforms ah yeah yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I i really like the blue script nationals that they they picked up and, and started mm-hmm. using in the playoffs all the time i think that's something that they they need to stick with moving forward um, I really hate the curly W with the American flag in it. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's what we said. Thank you. <laughs> um, I wish they would bring back the interlocking DC as an alternate. I think that would. Oh, look that's sick. what I meant. I, here, this is my thing. Um, if if I actually did a you know those pick three things on the grid of nine, um, I had put one together like a month ago of, of a bunch of different national jerseys, and the ones I went with, I think the white. Uh, jersey with the curly, red curly W in the middle is great. Mm-hmm. I think that the blue script nationals can be good for on the road with the gray pants. I think that looks clean. Uh, and mm-hmm. then your alternates can be the red jersey with the interlocking DC. I think that's an elite combination as far as what they put out. Uh, I think that's the best three, and I would love if they, if they brought that DC back. I mean, that's such a classic. I, my first nationals hat was a interlocking DC hat. Yeah, and I agree with that. The one other one I'll throw out there is... I guess they're bringing it into the rotation this season, but previously it's been their spring training jersey. It's the white with the the red, and it looks like hints of blue national mm-hmm. script across the chest. That one will be in my cart and purchased immediately <laughs> as soon as it goes on sale. That thing is so nice. I've been drooling over that for two years now. Do you guys like the capital with the Senator's W logo? I know a lot I, of people are torn on that. I like I the W. I like the the block W, but I don't like the Capitol building as a logo, and I don't like yeah, that they're trying okay. to make it their. I don't like it, that they're trying to make it their secondary logo either. I would much rather go back to the interlocking DC than try to make the W with the Capitol a thing. My thing, I I don't mind the Senators W, but like yeah. I just think the DC is so much more than the Capitol and the monuments. Exactly. You know? Like I, I hate that anytime anyone wants to encapsulate 
you know, DC in a logo. You know, we saw it with the, the All-Star Game logo as well. You know, it's got the capital in the middle. Even the, the Nationals uh, World Series champions logo that they created uh, has the capital building on the top. I just think that it's, it's a little bit overdone, and there are so many other things that uh, to like about D.C., and I would love, I mean, obviously, they're the Washington Nationals, I get it, but if you could find a way to get DMV or something like that in there, maybe mm -hmm. like a bit of each, like, flag from the three states or something uh, into that, I think, you know, because Nationals, you know, their fan base is so much more than D.C. It stretches into Maryland, mm -hmm. it stretches into Virginia, um, you know, to the point where it just all kind of bleeds together. I don't think that they necessarily have to always go hardcore, we're D.C., we're D.C., like, you know, embrace the whole area. Yeah, and I'll point out the Capitals logo. It's like the if you look at their the eagle, like one of their primary logos, you can see the outline of the Capitol building, but it's more like it's subtle. It's you really have to look yeah. at the logo to identify it. It's not right there in your face as the primary logo. So I think if they wanted like, to like do the, the Capitol building, right? Exactly. Like if they wanted to, they felt so strongly about the Capitol building, do something like that. I mean, they have plenty of design people that could come up with one if they really wanted to. I think that is the route you take, not necessarily making it your primary, well, not your primary logo, but the primary feature in your secondary logo or your spring training logo. That's just my, my two cents. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, but um, I, I think that that's all we have. But I did want to point out, I don't have a question on it, but I did really like your article about what Michael Phelps said about the whole quarantine thing and dealing with mental illness. I mean, I'm sure most of us have dealt with something along the lines uh, of that mm -hmm. in our lives, whether it's us or a family member or a friend, whatever. But seeing that put into words, especially someone like Michael Phelps, who's, I mean, probably one of the greatest athletes of all time, it, just, it was awesome. So I really appreciated your article on that. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, definitely a heavy heart. You know, I think everybody mm -hmm. knows somebody uh, who, who's been affected by things like that. And with the quarantine going on, mental health issues uh, are definitely, you know, rearing their head in a lot of ways that people aren't really talking about right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think it was cool that, that Phelps kind of stepped up and said, look, you're not alone. You know, I've obviously, you know, had a career as an Olympic swimmer, but even, even I can be affected by something like this. And you know, he, to his credit, you know, he's he's been huge uh, in that help in that front of, of helping other people, providing resources. I think he, he he's a part owner in a uh, like online therapist company, uh, and he oh, donated five hundred months five hundred months of free therapy wow. sessions to frontline workers, Holy crap. Uh, uh, people who are you know working on all this stuff. So I, I think that that was really cool for him to do and. Uh, just to, to put that message out there and say, look, you know, this is hard. Uh, you, nobody's expecting you to, to coast through a situation like this. You know, you just got to you know, be patient and work through it and, and go and get as much help as you need. That's awesome. I mean, if you needed any more reason to stand Michael Phelps, there you have it. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <clears throat> great athlete Seriously. and a great man. Uh, yeah, Matt, just want to say thank you for coming on. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, Hope we can have you on again. It was really great talking to you. Um, and you guys can find him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. And also check out his work on NBCSportsWashington.com and check out his articles that he is posting. Uh, Matt, once again, thank you very much, man. And uh, stay safe. Thanks for coming on.
And whatever we have to do to get yeah, the Nats yeah. away from Masson and to NBC Sports Washington, just let us know. We're there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, plead the fifth on that one, but uh, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. And um, I've, I've actually followed you guys on Twitter. I don't know if it was just you, Ryan, for a long time, but um, or if it was both of you, but I've followed you guys on Twitter for a long time. And I just got to say, I, you've, you've always brought a very interesting perspective to the table <laughs> and, and one that is not, not always common uh, in the Nats fan base. It's refreshing. So keep up the great work that you guys are doing. Your podcast awesome. Your work's awesome. So uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, I appreciate um, it. That's the highest compliment we could ever have. Thank you. <laughs> All right, later, Matt. Take it easy, guys. Once again, a huge shout-out to Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington for coming on and joining us. We cannot wait to have him on. It was a great conversation, and we re- really hope you guys enjoyed that. You can find Matt on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Make sure to give him a follow and make sure to check out his articles on NBC Sports Washington. Yeah, obviously a really cool guy, as you just heard. But I mean, the fact that he took the, well, not really took the time, but he made the effort to say how much he loves Natchek. I mean, it really (laughs) made our day. So he's instantly bumped up to tier one, probably our best friend. I mean, I guess it works because Matt can be our best baseball friend. And since Sam is with the Redskins now, he can be our best football friend that sometimes does baseball. So it all works Mm -hmm. out in the end. Exactly. Well, you guys can be bought cheaply with flattery, huh? I mean, it doesn't take much. Right. That's um, why you're not our friend because you never compliment us. You call us or whatever true. the word I, you use. You use really sure large Some word. of my words are very complimentary, just not this week. Well, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. All right. Well, that's, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. And let's talk next about the ring unveiling and documentary that went along with it. Improbable. So, what did you guys think of it? I, I have one thing to say. I, I love love <laughs> the new trend in the like World Series rings. I'm like how <laughs> simple they are, but there's so many details. Love the ring. It's great. The logo looks good. The sides with all the diamonds, um, with the names and everything. Um, even though there's a grammatical error and like the baby shark being on it, it's cheesy, but I get it. But there's one thing I just do not understand. The 108 diamonds. <laughs> it starts off great. When they were first unveiling it, even before everybody started talking about it on Twitter, I was like, seriously, what is this convoluted crap? What are they even like, talking about? So it starts off great. 105 wins. Yeah, I get that. Everyone does something like that. Um, a World Series win. Again, I get that. Two for the duality of franchise. Um, what happened is you guys didn't realize um, what else to put and told your marketing team go figure it out, and that's what y'all came up with. That was the cheesiest thing I've ever seen in my life. The duality of the franchise that we Has do not recognize. that moved from one city to another ever done anything like that on their rings before? No. no They've shot. also never said duality. Yeah, no shot. So <laughs> that always makes, yeah, that always plus makes me. Plus two yeah, stones uh, for the colors of Max Scherzer's eyes, plus 106. That would have been better than the duality plus of the 106 <laughs> stones for the amount of time that Zim grounded into a double play with the bases loaded. Uh, minus 40 stones wow. for Adam Eaton. So much negativity. Um, so much yeah. negativity here. I mean, they, they literally could Okay, no. We, 
like I said to start, the ring was absolutely beautiful. It was. It the is. ring. The ring is beautiful. Like I kind of want one. Um, I can't you know. wait to buy the twelve dollar one from DH Gate. <laughs> it is yeah, gorgeous. Although, why are the knockoff ones not even look the same? Like, if I want to buy a knockoff piece of jewelry, I want it to look like the well, real one. It's I don't also want, like, eight hundred dollars, and it's ugly as hell. But like, yeah, with with the diamonds, they could have been like a hundred and five wins, one NL pennant, one World Series ring, one hell of a year. Something like that. I would take that <laughs> over the duality of a franchise. One hell of a year would have made me so mad. <laughs> no, I would have gone. I would have gone. 105 I wins, one World Series win, and two for the color <laughs> of Max Scherzer's eyes. I like that idea. I would have been down for that. <laughs> I said this because I knew they could react. Um, so when the Red Sox won their first World Series, they gave. David Ortiz a special ring. Um, he got a completely different ring than everyone else did, especially when they won the second one. They did it too. Um, and like Ovi got a little something special also. Do you think the Nats gave anything for Ryan Zimmerman? Or do you think they're like, nah, you get the same thing, the duality of the I franchise? I like the idea of certain AARP guys getting something it. different. I think the, that sucks. I mean, they give the franchise guy, like everyone understands. Like, do you think the Anyone of the Patriots would like be mad. They gave Brady a special thing for his fifth or sixth. Like everyone would get it. Dave Ortiz yeah. was the soul of the Boston Red Sox, and it doesn't like lessen the uh, other people's World Series rings. Like it's just <clears throat> Ryan's. I mean, it's Ryan Zimmerman. If you don't acknowledge or appreciate what Ryan Zimmerman means to the franchise, I don't think you deserve a World Series ring. Like it's freaking, like. Trevor Rosenthal got a World Series ring, and his World Series there ring is the people... same as Max Scherzer's, the same as Steven Strasburg, who's the MVP, yep. all of them. So why not give Ryan Zimmerman something special? I don't know. I like everybody to get the same, but I do want to say, I mean, we here, we do a, a freaking podcast about the Nats. I feel like I follow the team pretty closely. There were people, <laughs> when they were announcing the names, I was like, who the hell is that guy? Like, <laughs> why are these people getting World Series? Pierre Maguire. <laughs> Well, I mean, wasn't it like Tony Benters? There were all these people. I'm like, why is he getting a World Series ring? I mean, in sports, like if you play like even one game, you get a ring, which is really funny. So Trevor Rosenthal will be able to tell his grandkids, yeah, I was a pretty crucial part in the Nats winning a World Series. Which, I mean, spin zone isn't necessarily a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. He was a, he was a crucial part in the turnaround story. Because it was once they got rid of him. Yep. That thing, yeah. Yeah. Everyone settled down. It, it, it's all. It's all how you frame it. It's all how you frame Benzo, it. Benzo, yeah. baby. It's like the Niners saying it's a good thing they lost the Super Bowl because everyone was gotten COVID at the parade. Look at that. They save lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's all about how you look at it, right? It's all um, about. And then the documentary. I I watch. I just watched it the other day. I, I didn't watch it. it. Um, I will watch it. I just haven't yet. The wild card, amazing. Love it. It was pretty cheesy at times. I really thought it was going to be the whole season. But what really stuck out to me, like, it, it was good. Don't get me wrong. Like, if it was available on DVD, I'd probably buy it just because. Is that when they're talking in part two about the World Series, they have about 20 minutes dedicated to game one and then, like, 15 minutes dedicated to game two. And then they're, like, the first World Series game in D.C. since, like, 19-whatever like how hyped the crowd is. They're talking about how great the crowd is. They have all these people talking about how much this means to them and everything. And, that and, then, 
and hold on. <laughs> but then the screen goes black, and the next thing you know, they're like, and Max Scherzer woke up on game five, and his neck hurt. Completely skipped over games three, four, and the only thing they talked about in five. Well, yeah, because nothing oh. happened. Oh, at least show it. Like, it was so, <laughs> yeah. so funny I, just like how the they just black went right on over <laughs> Like, come on, I show remember it. I was sitting across the street at, um, at the beer garden right outside of Nats Park when I got the alert on my phone that, Joe Ross was going to go instead of Max Scherzer. I was like, oh, there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> God, I wish Joe Ross would have just went out there and shoved. I like if I mean, I don't change the end result at all, but if I could, I wish <laughs> Joe Ross just went out there and shoved because that would have been my – I've always been a Joe Ross stan, and that would have been like my validating moment if Joe Ross just showed up <laughs> like a freaking Ross Detweiler in game four of the 2012 AL, or NLDS. Something like <laughs> so crazy. I mean, oh, man. What is Ross but, Detweiler doing these days? Is he still in the league? So, his name is Ross Believe it or believe it or not, I was at uh, the Nashville Sounds game, which is a AAA affiliate. They were for the A's. I don't know if they still are. This was two, three years ago, and I just I was in Nashville, so I decided to go to a game. You know, taking the minor league field, and lo and behold, pitching for the opposing team, Ross Detweiler. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just pitching it, in AAA three years ago, huh? Yeah, well. And I think he made. I think he made some major league starts for the White Sox or the Rangers this past year. So he's still around. No, he's still kicking around. How, I was how, a fan. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw people talking about how we should bring Jordan Zimmerman back. Speaking of how. Oh my god! Fallen. Oh my god! <laughs> I knew I, like, that would get a reaction out of Ryan. <laughs> if this like, I like haven't really felt like talking about baseball on Twitter until like. Today I was, just because everything that's going on in the world, I truly didn't think it was right to talk about anything else. But when I saw that, I almost snapped on that guy. <laughs> Jordan Zimmerman is 35 years old. He hasn't had an ERA under 4-5 in five years, and you're talking about him joining a aging rotation and potentially being closer? Oh, my God. I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, you did. It was making me giggle when I was saw it on Twitter. Whew. <laughs> oh. Plus four diamonds well. for the ERA that <laughs> yeah. Jordan Zimmerman will never have again. <laughs> okay, they could have been like a hundred. They could have added a couple more diamonds and been like a hundred and five wins, five comeback wins, one World Series. That would have been great. I mean, they could have just done a hundred five wins, three series wins. <laughs> Even that's better. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. if they really wanted to get something that reaches 108. Duality of franchise. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Go Expos. Anyway, Ooh. I liked the. Uh, I did watch the the improbable documentary, and I liked it. I mean, it was, it was fine. Good. It wasn't. It wasn't anything. You know, it wasn't like overwhelmingly wonderful or anything. But I will watch any. Nats World Series content you will give me. Like, literally, I'll watch the same thing over and over again, so new stuff is perfectly okay with me. Hey, so they, I, 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 watched, I watched Improbable Jokers, too. Oh, my God. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Saw them live. It wasn't, wasn't um, my best work, but... <laughs> no, they, at least you tried. They made this because the Nats players hated the MLB documentary, which, like, MLB documentary... Terrible. Clearly thought the Astros, the Astros were going to win. <laughs> yeah. But I will say one thing. The way the MLB documentary did Howie Kendrick's home run was one million times better than, like, Improbable did Howie Kendrick's home run. 
like the music choice yeah. they had in MLB's documentary, the slow mo, like constantly replaying, so much better. Did let me ask you this: Is am I alone in the fact that I still literally get like a tear in my eye every time I watch that home run, and I have watched it so many times, and I never can watch it without getting like a little verklempt every time I see. I it. mean, I. I get that way when I see the like Juan Soto's wild card hit, oh. the save, a bunch of other moments. Like it's just the amazing. grand slam against the Dodgers. There's a bunch of moments in that run that the the wild card one. I just I have that was the most electric I have ever felt in that park, and I have been in that park for a lot of big the big moments. But that was just I, I blacked out. The, the dejection in the stadium <laughs> up until that point, and everybody was just like, here we go again. We're not even going to make it past the wild card game. And it was like, I was already like talking to myself about how lucky we were even to have made it to the playoffs because of the way the season started, and we should be grateful for what we got, but I can't believe this is going to end here tonight. And then that happened, and it was just like the most insane outpouring of emotion I've ever been been there for, like live at a sporting event. So and I know you, I, you guys. Sorry, I was just gonna say I know you guys were there, but just the way that game started too, with Max giving up what two in the first inning. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, a walk like, in the home run. So yeah, you just thought like it was destined for failure, so it it was crazy. But go ahead, Ryan. I am forever grateful the Nats won that game because there was a while when every single time the Nats lost, I had hordes of Braves and Mets fans tweeting me every single time they lost about the whole, like, best record baseball since 1931 and talking so much crap. And I know for a fact if they lost that game, my mentions would have been absolute dumpster fire, which I would have loved to have dealt with. But I got to be the dumpster fire on people's timelines. It was nice. (laughs) Yes, and that is, of course, the thing you love best. (laughs) the power of Shaq. Eva. <laughs> All right. So anything else before we get to Twitter questions? Questions. Uh, Amanda, you haven't talked about your favorite player in history trying to come back and play for the Mets. Give her a second. What player are we? She, she'll come to it. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> All right. All right. Here's a hint. Okay. You ready for this? Plus uh-huh. two diamonds for the amount of families <laughs> this guy has. Oh, oh, <laughs> he is my favorite. <laughs> Plus two times for how many times he's tested positive for PEDs. <laughs> yeah, but how can you not love that guy? Well, it just completely <laughs> invalidates every argument you've ever made about Barry Bonds. But anyways. <laughs> no, I don't want him in the Hall of Fame, so it doesn't invalidate Yeah, but you love him. Yep. All right, whatever. Yeah, well, not doing anyway. It. <laughs> so is he really trying to come back and play for the Mets? Yeah, you didn't see that. He's like he just celebrated no. his 48th birthday. He said he he still has another year left in him, and he said he wants to play for oh the Mets. Oh my god! I mean, wasn't he pitching like 86 the last time he was? Yeah, the, the thing with Bartolo Colon is he's never thrown the hardest, but he can still spot up better than half of the yeah. pitchers in baseball. If you can pitches, locate pitches, yeah, if you can locate pitches, you can be effective. I mean, you've if you've been with us for a while, you hear me like talk about CC Sabathia all the time because he was able to transition from just throwing hard to actually pitching, and Bartolo Colon has made a career over that. He won a BS Cy Young because of it. I mean, it's yeah. That's what he does better than almost anyone. Yeah, well, I just think seeing a 48-year-old 
pitch in the majors would be amazing. So I'm I'm here for that. I, mean, I would be I would be very thrilled to see them. Yeah, anyone in your age? <laughs> yeah, I am in my 40s. Not quite 48 yet, but I feel like it a lot of days. Uh, <laughs> one diamond for every kid you adopt. One diamond. In the <laughs> Instead of for the duality. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So, oh, I got one more question that somebody sent me. I need to find it. I'd forgotten to put it on the doc here. Well, anyway, I'll just, I remember the question, but not the person. So whoever you are, thank you for your question, and I'll, I'll shout you out later. Um, somebody had asked me earlier this week about what our memorabilia collections are like. I can't remember the Ooh. exact wording, but do you have like a memorabilia room? Like what do you guys do for your, your sports stuff? I mean, I am allowed my office, and that's about it, but that's good enough for me. I mean, so I have all of the, like, rally flags I've collected. Um, I have, well, I mean, I don't know if it classifies as memorabilia, but, like, when the Nats actually won the World Series that night on Fanatics, I, Fanatics, Fanatics, I went on a spree and just bought oh, absolutely everything I so did not money. need. My total was easily over four hundred dollars. Uh, it was insane. Same. I bought, I bought a dog sweater with the obviously the <laughs> World Series champions. I bought bean bags for my cornhole set with the World Series champion logos. I mean, I bought a bunch of hoodies, shirts. Um, but I mean, the bean bags and the dog sweater were definitely. Oh, I bought a Santa hat. Um, those are probably <laughs> the most preposterous items I purchased afterwards. Um, I, I haven't had. I haven't really bought anything recently. Uh, I mean, the World Series, like, baseball glove I, I posted on Twitter, that was after the fact, but that's actually something I really wanted, so I don't consider it preposterous. <laughs> I got... I love it. A lot in my room from, like, all different types of sports and other people, and then um, I keep all the rally tiles I've ever gotten because I love rally tiles, but those are in my closet right next to my signed Josh Norman thing. Um... But I have, like, a corner in my room where I have the huge poster of, like, the, all the different Washington Post article headlines from when they won the World Series, um, when they won the NL pennant. And I got the framed Nats and Caps photo with the trophy in it because I absolutely love that photo. <gasps> oh, and then I have, like, my every bobblehead I've gotten and, like, a bunch of other bobbleheads I've collected in, like, a little area as well. My DC Defender shield shields up. Rest in peace. I miss DC Defenders so much. And then just like some fat heads and a couple other stuff. But most of my stuff's in my closet if it's not out. Yeah, also known as Ryan's Bad Room. <laughs> oh. Yikes. Uh, well, Amanda didn't get that reference. <laughs> no, I did not. I'm pretty sure I don't want to. <laughs> Always sunny in Philadelphia. Ah, yeah, I don't watch. Greatest that. show of all time. I got nothing. Well, you hey, should. Uh, maybe no. we should. No, no. I mean, take a picture of your setup. Take a picture of your setup, and we should throw it up on Twitter for people. Hey, no, that'll be fun. <laughs> you don't want to. Your memorabilia collection is that lame? You don't want to share a picture? No, I mean I'll share my bobbleheads just because I like bobbleheads a lot, but. I do like bobbleheads. I don't have as many as I wish I did because I don't always get down to the bobblehead games. Hey, Ryan, take a but, picture of your street address, too. <laughs> I gave my I'm social security number. I'm talking about your memorabilia, number. not your driver's license. Oh, and I got the um, the Fight Finish Sports Illustrated, the Washington Post book Ooh, for the Nats and one. the Caps. 
and like yeah. a bunch of other stuff. I got that one um, actually from uh, Bill Libby, who's our Chili's guy. He gave me one of those. So I got it from oh, Santa. Nice. But I had, yeah, I have all of the uh, um, like the newspapers for the day after the Caps one and the Nats one. I need to get frames for them, but I have all of them waiting to be put up at some point. Oh, that's fantastic. I got several copies of the one the day after the Nats one. But I had to get other people to get them for me because I was on a plane, of course, <laughs> which is where I went on my insane shopping spree. I actually had to pay extra for Internet just so that I could go on Fanatics and spend too much money on that stuff because you are I was on a plane. But <laughs> I know. it was That was an insane, like the whole couple of days afterwards are like a blur because I hadn't slept. But my, uh, my, one of my favorite things I have is actually a, I got for my husband as a gift was the, you know, the Smith Pelly goal where he's like laid out oh, sideways on the, the Love yeah, that. yeah, that one, I have a big, it's probably, I don't know, like an 11 by 14 copy of that autographed by Smith Pelly. Nice. Which is pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah, I've got, so my room is all Nats and caps, but we have in the office, there's like shelves up on the wall and I've got a nice collection of Nats and cap stuff, but. I uh, I definitely think, and I have a John Carlson signed stick, which is pretty awesome, especially since he's about to win the North. I have a game use cap stick. I can't remember who it's from. I have the like authenticity thing downstairs. So I just uh, can't. The, remember the JSR. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. All right, cool. That's a fun one. Um, who else do we have here at Nationals Post? Longtime listener, multiple time tweeter. With the season, perhaps. <laughs> Starting soon, yeah, right. How does a shortened, shortened season, I assume he means shortened season, help or hurt the Nats' chances at a repeat, given the divisions stay the same? I think the yes. address suits well for our rotation. What y'all think? Um, first of all, Nats post, absolute greatest heater there is. Um, he's rivaling lovely lady C mm -hmm. for that. Um, great guy. Stoking those fires right there. He's amazing at Warzone. The best Warzone player in the world. <laughs> um, but a shortened season 100% goes in Nat's favor. This whole rest does also because their starting rotation was taxed. And they're all kind of old. So this extra, like, extra rest and also only having a shortened season, if they play 50 games, the Nats can do all 50 of that with only a four-man rotation and just throw Joe Ross into the bullpen or whatever they decide to do with him experiment-wise, it definitely goes in their favor. And also taking the fact that they are the oldest team in baseball, there's going to be more off days, and that will help preserve any type of injuries or any type of rest issues that may happen with them being a little older. I mean, I agree with you, but just to play – White people's favorite term, devil. I was, I was, I was getting to say that. <laughs> um, I mean, you take a 50-game sample from last year, and we go 19 and 31. Yeah, but if they go 19 31 this year in a 50-game season, every Nats fan is going to say it's the greatest season of all time. Hey, that's a great spin zone, and I, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually hate the 50-game season idea. I, I, I really, so. I know this is controversial, especially about our friend Nats Post, who got in an argument on Twitter today about this very topic. But um, I hate the idea of a season like that, and I do think there's major asterisks involved if you See, play a season that's only 50 games. Can, I don't like the idea of awarding the same the same trophy of it being, I don't like the idea of it just being like, hey, it's just a season like any other because it isn't. 
And I don't know. I, I well, think someone, there, there is an asterisk on the season. Some would argue that this one would maybe even be more special considering that, one, every single team is in the same boat. No team is truly getting an advantage from this. Like, mm -hmm. every team is impacted by this and is going through this together. So, of course, it counts because every team is in the same boat. And also, with the long layoff and all the different things that they're going to have to go through this year, like, they're going to have to get tested every single day, how different the season is going to be. It's going to be challenging for the guys and not being able to see their families. Some would argue that this would matter a little bit more just from all the extra challenges they have to do. So that, that's a perfect segue into my, again, devil's advocate point. So, Ryan, pop quiz. To the casual fan or the fringe baseball fan, when they see the amount of games that baseball plays, what's the number one, like, comment you get? There's too many. There's too many. Game, like, a game on a Wednesday in early June just doesn't matter. Oh, well, supposedly. To, to, that, to that fringe fan, yeah. So, in theory, wouldn't a 50-game season – provides so much emphasis on every single game that the Nats would do something like go to a four-man rotation because their they're top four are arguably the best four in all of baseball. And it would almost provide such a, an atmosphere on every single game that you get to like a football standard where every single game matters and you can't take a single game off to do like mm -hmm. a bullpen day or anything like that. So I agree 50 game season isn't the best outcome but I I personally one yeah I would be try to see the, the the silver lining the positive in it one because I just want baseball back but two I mean to Amanda one of Amanda's like favorite things about baseball is just the strategy behind it changing it to a 50 game season implements so many more strategic options that wouldn't otherwise be considered in an 82 game season or a 162 game season that I would be interested to see what it would be like for a lot of teams in baseball, especially like the teams um, pick someone on the fringe, like maybe the White Sox who are trending in the right direction but aren't quite there yet. Uh, amongst, I mean, even the Marlins would be in it. Yeah, they would. They would just go for it because what do they have to lose? And hey, I mean, if they win, they they win. It, it means the same whether the Marlins win or the Yankees win. Like. A world, this World Series is a World Series. It, yeah, I get, like, it's not a full season and there will be kind of an asterisk, but, I mean, it doesn't mean you want it any less. No, I know what you're saying, and I even, it's a good point that it would be exciting in ways that baseball isn't always exciting, but honestly, one of the things that I love about baseball is the fact that it's such a grind that in order oh, to I get agree. to the end and win your division, yeah. and to, that, that is part of why it, it makes baseball different than every other sport. Oh, for sure. It's the, the day in, day out grind, and obviously, I want baseball back, and I will watch every game, no matter how many they give us. I will watch every single one, but I uh, I don't know. To me, it just won't feel the same, like, even if the Nats win it, and you're like, yeah, okay, they went back-to-back, -back, but only sort of. Do you know what I mean? It's just doesn't well, I mean, it's still I mean, back. It's still yeah, back. I was just going to say, like, there's two things. There's like, nothing if, taken if, out if the Nats win it, like, we are still going to celebrate, like, we did when the Nats won oh, the World sure. Wild Card game, and we said we won a playoff series. Like, that. that's not... I mean, that doesn't matter, but also... Oh, yeah, I'm a like, homer. You know this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I get, like, it, it's not going to feel the same, but, I mean, we're all on the same page here. We're going to take what we can get, and, like, this is all in theory right now, but once it actually starts, if we go forward with a 50-game season, we're going to forget all of that. We're just going to be into baseball 
and it's essentially pushing us into it's dropping us in the middle of a of a playoff race of a pennant race yeah and i mean that's awesome so like you know how when it starts getting mid-august late august and like september how like all the games have a little bit extra meaning there's yeah. a little more intense especially when you have a division rival town imagine not the whole season so like whatever sport comes back first like their ratings are gonna be through the roof because there's nothing on TV. And like, say baseball comes back first, they have a 50 game season where every single game matters. They could truly benefit that and really help grow the game where they're seeing just 50 games that straight up matter. When Whatever. 162 yeah. game season, you can literally throw away five eight games in a row and still be fine. Right, and like I hate, I hate this game as an example, but the Cubs Nationals game on Sunday Night Baseball, where David Bodie hit the walk off grand slam, like it, it, it was just a regular game in August, but because of the situation, what it meant for the Nats playoff hopes and the Cubs playoffs hope, like we're gonna get that every single game in a fifty game season. So like I'm almost talking myself into it. Like I like the idea of every single game <coughs> mattering, and maybe it's like, well terrible example but maybe it's like the fourth day in a row sean doodle little like has to pitch or needs to pitch and like we just need him because maybe our bullpen sucks again and we just need like three outs because the braves are on our tail or we're catching someone like i I, i'm here for that i'm I'm really talking myself into it at this point it'll be weird but like like, we're watching witnessing you talk yourself into it as we speak yeah absolutely i think it'd be cool yeah. yeah, I mean, it'll be cool, of course. I just, I don't know. To me, part of what I love everything is, like I said, different. about... No, I like about baseball how... Yeah, you know, you're in, in football, certainly... Or whatever that word was. Obdurate, but whatever. Um, That's why I said. Part of what I... One of the things I love so much about baseball is the best teams tend to be the ones that win. And that seems silly because Whoa. you think that in all sports. But there's a lot of... I know it sounds, it sounds stupid, but when you think about how many fluky things can happen in hockey or fluky things happen in football because the seasons are shorter and, you know, one one play here and there can be the difference between, you know, you in football you went 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and you, you made the playoffs or you didn't. And you just have so few chances at it that I like about baseball that over the course of such a long season, the best teams tend to rise to the top. And so you... it's not like I'll enjoy the hell out of a season that's different, but I just I don't know. I don't want any of the idiots like Manfred to get the idea that, like, oh, a shorter season made people think that baseball was more exciting. Maybe we should do that. Well, you you point out NBA, sorry, NHL and the NFL for, like, fluky things because sh- uh, the season's shorter. Both leagues had dynasties this decade because the best teams will win regardless like regardless who's there like you talk about that oh an eight and seven or an eight and 18 can make it they usually don't get very far they'll win the first round and then they'll get absolutely destroyed by the team that got the buy it'd be the same thing yeah. in this like if a fluky team made it like the best teams are still going to win like a random team may get in the playoffs but at the end of the day they're not going to beat whoever like the early 2010s blackhawks and then the penguins when they had their thing and like and then it's looking like the chiefs are going to be the dynasty the Patriots, like every year there's always this fluke team who just got absolutely destroyed by the same teams every single year, and their seasons are short. So, like, the great teams are still going to win. Yeah, they're going to win overall. I just, I, I like the fact that the playoffs, like winning the division is just so hard in baseball. It's such a grind, and it takes so long. It's just, I don't know. It's not like I won't happily take a 50-game season if that's what we can get, but I would really love it if they can come up with something that 
more resemble what we're used to. Because you hate change. Okay. <laughs> because I hate change. Exactly. Uh, Represent the what I up out here. <laughs> it should. I hate change. Let me say it for you. The more game clearly. is just going to die without the National Valley. Uh, I think they're busy killing it regardless. Anyway, our next Twitter question is from at he's only 20 says, thoughts on Patrick Corbin retweeting Mark Lerner's estimated worth, the learners being cheap, and the learners backtracking once they received hate from their own fans and players. We kind of already did, touched on this. Yeah, but we, I mean, I guess we didn't touch on the learners backtracking too much just because that's what they should have done in the first place. Well, I guess we did, but I mean, it, it, bottom line, it's just funny. And it just goes to show that maybe there is more to uh, this intra, inter, intra, like organizational feud between the players and ownership. Yeah, I think there is more to it. And hashtag shame works. They got shamed into doing the right thing. So good on players. All right, what we've got next. At B. Wagner says, what are the Nats going to do with 50,000 bobbleheads they can't give out? Sell them. Sell them everything. for $300 <laughs> a pop or whatever the hell that bundle was. That was insane. Yeah, that yeah. was the biggest ripoff of all time. And it is not the day after the World Series anymore. I don't have that imaginary money to spend. Yeah, exactly. I remember after uh, about a month after, I, because, of course, I changed that flight and spent an enormous amount of money I don't care to even think about. Got the about credit card bill and you're like, so. cool. Yeah, yep. Then about a month later, I was like, what the yeah. hell? Decrease your kids' <laughs> weekly stipends by $100 so that way you could pay off. It's stuff. fine. They didn't need to go to college. It's fine. <laughs> I can homeschool them in college, too. Exactly. Exactly. College is overrated. Anyway. Yeah, Home they should have. Professor it, it, Amy. That, exactly. What was the other one? There was some other name, too, I'm forgetting from last yeah, time. I, can't remember. I, I just remember Amy. I don't remember the other one. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, definitely one of those things where it's, as much as they like to gouge all of us fans and get as much as they can out of us for ridiculous stuff, I, I remain baffled and will always be by the fact that they did not put out the Navy jerseys before Christmas. Idiots. I would have bought one for everyone Idiots. I know. <laughs> Idiots. Even if they weren't in women's yep. sizes? Well, I would have bought them for the men I know. If they <laughs> I have it's it's a it's a hobby horse of mine. I refuse to buy men's clothing for myself. I won't do it. If they want me to spend my money on their merchandise, they can damn well make it in women's sizes. <laughs> so, to beat that drum again, you guys got anything else before we go? Yeah, that's a pretty good episode, guys. We're on top um, of the game here. No, um, the DC primary is on June second. Please vote. Be hey, the change you want to see. Live in DC. If you listen to this on release day, that's today. So. Yeah. Right. It'll be tomorrow. That's right. And, of course, I don't know. None of us live in D.C., right? You don't know where I live. <laughs> yes, I do. Don't I look outside. I haven't taken a picture of my street address yet. <laughs> Nick and I actually live in the Midwest because it's not real. Neither are we. <laughs> we are. Monkey. Yeah, I saw you saying something about the Dakotas not being real. I was like, oh, I was just there. They're not, they're not real. That was a figment of your imagination. Yeah, you drove in Paragol. It was a You clearly would have driven drive. off the end of the edge of the world if you had gone that far. So yeah. I'm calling BS yeah. on that. Oh, lies. Lies, damn lies. All right, well, then I think that will do it for us. Um, 
So thank you guys for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. Hope you liked the interview with Matt Wyrick. Thank you again to him for joining us. Hopefully he will do so again soon, and I will be able to join to speak with him next time, I hope. Um, you guys well, we have a great night. Back, so probably not. So probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Anyway. Follow me on Twitter <laughs> at ay7877. You can follow Nick at HalfShackCap. You can follow Ryan at DCNatShack. And you can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. You guys have a great week. Stay safe out there. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Later. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go stay safe while out in the streets. Bring buddies and don't let them out of the range of your voice. Write a legal aid number on your body so you can get help if you get arrested. Be sure to know your buddies' legal names and birthdays. You'll need these to help find them if they're arrested. When moving around, walk, don't run. Stick together. Turn off your phone while out in the streets to avoid surveillance of your location and so as not to have your unlocked phone taken by the authorities or other bad actors. Try your best not to stick out in a crowd. Cover up tattoos with clothing or body paint. Cops will use footage from the protest to try to identify you. Wear clothes that are good for moving quickly. Avoid wearing jewelry and wear closed-toed shoes. Wear your mask at all times, even if you're talking to someone, in order to guard yourself against surveillance, COVID-19, pepper spray, and tear gas. Avoid wearing contact lenses. Bring goggles of some kind in case of tear gas or pepper spray. Consider wearing bike helmets as police often cause head injuries with batons and other weapons. 
Don't take photos or videos of people doing anything illegal or with their faces uncovered. Whenever possible, film the cops, not the protesters. Only put water in your eyes. Don't use milk or baking soda or anything else. Clean water is the safest thing to use at a protest. If possible, bring a water bottle to drink from and a water bottle to flush out the eyes of any comrades who are maced or tear gassed. And white comrades are encouraged to follow the lead of black and brown comrades as they bear the brunt of state brutality. Follow Unicorn Riot and Channel Zero Network member It's Going Down for ongoing updates. The Channel Zero Network sends you all solidarity. Stay safe out there and never stop fighting for a better world. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.